Welcome to 633 in the new year, 2012. We've only got like five months to go and then the world ends. How great is that? How great is it? Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to start there. We're starting a new series tonight, the uh, Red Words of Jesus. Somewhere along back in the history of the English Bible, they started doing the words of Jesus in red. I'm not sure all the Bibles do that, but uh, that's kind of what this idea, that one does not, does not. Um, So here's the thing. We're going to be looking at the words of Jesus um, for the next several weeks all the way up until Lent. Um, And what I'm going to try to do, what I'm going to try to do is on Wednesday nights, those weeks, that we will cover everything Jesus said. Okay? It might be... Hard. But we're going to try to do that, so just to let you know, all right? Okay. Um, we will just tape them. We may just come in here and, re- you know, in the early church, they would come together, and for hours, because everybody couldn't read and books were expensive, they would come together because it might just be a few people owned the letters that were written by Paul or owned the Gospels that were a part of that church, and they would just come together and read Scripture together for hours. And that's, that's so foreign to our culture because we're visually and, you know, we're just, we have to have some uh, stimulation going on. Uh, but it would be kind of cool. I, I, I'm just going to throw this out. It's a brand new idea right here for the moment. Holy Spirit led, maybe. I mean, what would it be like to come together on a weekend and just say, you know what, we're going to pray and we're going to read the words of Jesus and we're just going to spend a weekend going through the words of Jesus. Wouldn't that be pretty cool? It would be pretty cool. If any of you want to organize that, I'm all for it. And I have a list of all, I've gone through and I've pulled out every one of the words of Jesus and put it in a Word doc. And uh, it's a lot, a lot of things that Jesus said. So we're going to be looking at that. And it's a difficult thing to do, quite honestly, because uh, you've got all these different aspects of things that Jesus said. So uh, part of what Jesus does is he just has dialogue with people. And that's not specifically teaching as far as like when Jesus was talking with somebody, it might not be considered a teaching, but for us, it is teaching. And so part of the words of Jesus are just the things that he said to people when he would interact with them and uh, heal them and do things. And so that's part of it. And then you have these, these teachings of Jesus, which part of those are the parables, which are just these stories that he told, just going around telling stories. And people would make, you know, whatever sense of them that they could, and he would explain them later to his disciples. Uh, another part of his teaching is the direct teaching, where he just says, this is what I'm teaching you today. And it's not in a story form, it's just some kind of direct message. Um, and that happens both in a public sphere, where he might talk to a crowd of people and say some things, and it happens in a, a private sphere, where he might just have his disciples with him, and he just speaks directly and teaches directly to them. So there's all those aspects. Um, and then there are the prayers of Jesus, um, which I think also are teaching. Like they teach us how to pray and the kinds of things that were on Jesus' heart for his people and for this world. Um, and so we're going to try to look at all those um, as much as we can in the coming weeks up to and maybe a little bit into Lent. So there you go. But we're going to start tonight in Matthew uh, chapter 4. Um, Jesus is baptized in Matthew chapter 4, and then he goes out into the wilderness and he is tempted uh, by the devil. And he overcomes the devil by saying some things to the devil. We're going to look at these sayings later on in coming weeks. What does Jesus say? And then it says in verse 12, 
It says, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been thrown into prison, he returned to Galilee. So he's been down in the southern part of Israel, down around the area of where Jerusalem is and, and over to uh, the, the east of Jerusalem along the Jordan River, which is where he's been baptized by John. And he spent 40 days out in the wilderness being tempted, out in the desert being tempted and fasting. And when he's done with that, he comes back into his homeland of Galilee. And we've talked about this in, in some weeks past, but since some of you haven't been here, Galilee would be like Idabel, Oklahoma, okay? It would be, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it is the hick part of Israel, okay? And if you're from Idabel, it's okay. I'm from southeastern Oklahoma. I can talk hick. I, I know that dialect, okay? So, and it's true that Jesus came, but it's a northern part of Israel, and Jesus came from this hill country in Galilee where they were considered hicks, and they actually were distinguished by their bad accents, Kind of like we make fun of people with, you know, accents that aren't like our own. We consider those bad, which is kind of strange. Uh, so he goes back to his homeland after all of this experience. And in verse 12, when he heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, his hometown, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is off the, the sea of, uh, the lake of, uh, lake Sea of Galilee, <clears throat> uh, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea along the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. And in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Mark, this is the first preaching message of Jesus after his baptism. And it's going to define everything else. So in the coming weeks, everything else that we look at will be defined by this one sentence right here. It's this. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom, the reign of God is at hand. And in the history of the church, especially in the American church, we've had this idea of the kingdom of God as being heaven. Uh, But the reality is what we're going to see when we go through the words of Jesus, that for Jesus, the kingdom of God is not heaven. The kingdom of God is wherever God is king, and people are doing the will and the work of God. And certainly, the world to come, eternal life, that is the kingdom of God because God's will will be completely done. But for Jesus, the kingdom of God starts right here and right now. And what he says when he says the kingdom of God is at hand, uh, in the Greek, it's, it's, it's literally, it's uh, close enough to touch. Uh, if we were speaking Hebrew, the Hebrew word, the phrase, uh, it's used today, at hand, al-yad, means you can reach it. So if I said to you, hey, grab a Bible, it's underneath your seat, it's al-yad, it's at hand, it means that you can grab it. And so Jesus shows up for these people who have been waiting for the kingdom of God to show up, and he tells them to repent, which we'll talk about in a second. Then he says, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is close enough to touch. You don't have to wait for it anymore. And the Gospel of Mark encapsulates this message as the good news of the kingdom. Wouldn't that be good news to people? You don't have to wait anymore. The kingdom of God is here, close enough to touch. Okay. Now, here's the interesting thing. We've talked about in, in several weeks. We've talked about how the world system is different than the kingdom of God. The world has been in rebellion in, against God in all kinds of ways ever since, ever since the sin in the garden in, in Genesis chapter 3. We've been turning our back on God's plan for us. We've been discontent with God's plan for us. Even in the perfection of the garden, Adam and Eve uh, wanted more than what they had. 
They wanted something different than what God had given them, and they rebelled against God. And ever since then, world systems, governments, powers, and individual people, we've been rebelling against God. And so if the kingdom of God is at hand, if it's really here, the thing is, is we're going to have to change if we want to see it or be a part of it. And I talked about briefly last week that metanoia, the Greek word for repent, means change the way you see things. Okay? It's a combination of two words. Uh, Noah, or noe, is the way that you imagine things. It's the way you see reality. And meta means change. And so if you want to see the kingdom of God, because the world can't see it the way that it is, you're going to have to change the way you see everything. And it's going to be important as we study these words of Jesus that to grasp a hold of these words, we can't expect to continue unchanged. And in some ways, I was thinking about this tonight. Uh, did, by the way, did you guys know that we have a prayer room that's available to the public that's right on the corner of this building? And the access code is 431. It has a little access code. You can go in there and spend time in prayer, and it's just a little small room. It's kind of cool, right on the corner. Um, I was in there earlier, and I was just thinking about tonight. What am I, what am I going to say? I want you to know that um, the same kind of thought came up as we were worshiping. It is easy to go through the motions. It's easy to get stuck in our ruts. And we have things like New Year, right, where it reminds us that there are moments of change available to us in life. We can make different decisions. We can submit ourselves in different ways to the will of God. We can, we believe this, we can change by God's grace. And the thing is, is the truth is that that's a daily thing, it's an hourly thing, it's an ongoing thing. But here we are at the beginning of the year, and I think that what God would say to all of us is repent. Change the way you see everything. If you've been stuck in a rut and you've missed the kingdom of God, if you're stuck in a rut and you're not seeing it, then you need to repent. Let God begin to change what your heart sees and give you new eyes. The Scripture says in Corinthians, Paul says, Behold, if anyone is in Christ, behold, and it's interesting, a lot of Greek translations fill in a phrase that's not there. The most common way that that's translated is, if anyone is in Christ, behold, he is a new creation. But what it says literally in the Greek, it leaves out that he is. It just says, if, if anyone is in Christ, behold, a new creation. The new creation has already begun for those who are in Christ, where the change of God is working on the heart and the Holy Spirit is working on the heart, and we're seeing everything differently. If you are in Christ, behold, everything is a new creation. You see it the way God sees it and not the way the world sees it. But to do that, that song, we, we basically have to come to the cross and we have to say to Jesus, we're submitting ourselves to your lordship. And as we study these words of Jesus, I'm just going to tell you, we get caught up in the, I get caught up in the teachings of a lot of people. We could probably, if you've been in church very much, we could go through the list of people that we just hang on their words, right? Or we think these are the people who have something to say. And it's true, there are teachers and there are people who have things to say. I mean, I'm up here. I hope I have something to say. But here's the bottom line. Jesus is the center of who we are and what we believe. Right? Dave Ramsey does not know how to handle your money better than Jesus. I promise. Okay? Um, if you're a, I don't know, if you're a Rob Bell guy, I guarantee you Rob Bell doesn't know as much about how to follow Jesus as Jesus does. Right? And what gets me is how little we actually study the Scripture and how little we study the words 
of Jesus, which is why we're doing this series. We spend a lot of time in Paul. We spend some time in the historical books. And we don't do a really, I don't know how much we center ourselves on the teachings of Jesus. But he shows up and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Then he gets to work. He gets busy. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. How do you think that looked, by the way? And note, this is not a religious experience, right? These are guys at work and some rabbi, and at this point, they don't even know him as a rabbi. He's just starting. Some guy walks along and says to them, hey, come with me, and you're going to catch men from now on. You're going to catch people. I mean, they must have had a really lousy life. You know? Oh, yeah, that's better than this any day of the week. And they drop their nets, and they follow him. I don't know. I would love to have been there to see that. I'm sure that some other conversations took place. One of the other Gospels records a little bit more of the conversation. Jesus says to Peter, put out your, you know, Peter's been fishing all night and catching nothing. And Jesus shows up and he's teaching. And then he says to Peter, hey, let's go out a little further and drop your nets, see what you'll catch. And Peter's like, I've been fishing all night. What are you talking about? But I'll do it. And he does it and they catch this big load of fish. And then Peter is overwhelmed with Jesus' presence with this miraculous thing that has happened. And he says, Jesus, leave me because I'm a sinful man. Any of you ever felt that way? Jesus, what do you, you know, I'm just a sinful man. And then Jesus says, you know, if you'll come follow me, you'll catch people. So come on. And they follow him. Thanks, Austin. Verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. This family thing is going on, by the way. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and followed him. And the Greek word there is the same word for forgive. It just means to, it means to drop and let go of everything. So they're working for their dad, which was a big thing in their culture. It's a big thing in our culture, but it's huge. And they are expected to work for their dad until their dad dies. And they're casting their nets into the water. And Jesus says, come follow me. And they drop their nets, and they drop their father, and they follow Jesus. And last week, we looked at some hard scriptures where Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must hate his father and his mother. And, right? and we had another scripture where he said, I, you think I came to bring peace to the world? I didn't come to bring peace, but division. And there's a greatness about this repentance thing where you see a new creation, where you wake up in the morning, you're like, God is at work today. And it changes all of that. But there's also this difficulty of repentance where Jesus calls us to leave things behind. And it's not just sin that he asks us to leave behind. I mean, sin is tough enough to leave behind. But the other things that he asks us to leave behind sometimes are the things that are actually good things. Right? I mean, would it be a bad thing to be working for your dad, to be supporting him? That's not a bad thing. Jesus has these guys that are asking him if they can follow him. One guy asks, can I follow you? And Interestingly, Jesus says, no, go do this. Another guy says, I'll follow you, but let me bury my father first, which in the mission of the Jewish law of the time, you had to take care, especially if you're the oldest son, you had to take care of burying your parents. 
What that means is if you stay with them through death and you take care of them through death and you take care of that whole process. And so the guy says, I want to follow you. So as soon as my dad dies, as soon as I'm done with that obligation, I'll come follow you, Jesus. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. As for you, you come and follow me. Isn't that a hard saying? Can you imagine that? What audacity of Jesus. That song that we sing, Jesus is the Lord, the only person who could have the audacity to say something like that would be the Lord, the master of everything. But I want you to know that if we're going to study the words of Jesus, you need to prepare yourself because you're going to be at this place and I'm going to be at this place where we will have to make decisions because based on the words of Jesus, this is what we should do. And he calls us to make these life-changing decisions. We cannot be stuck going through the motions. It's not enough to call Jesus Lord and not do what he says. Okay? Amen? All right. Turn to John chapter 8. Jesus, uh, the revolutionary words of Jesus. You guys realize that the words in the life of Jesus changed the world, right? It changed everything. Uh, you realize that the guy that we follow as Lord of creation was killed as a criminal of the state and an opponent to his own people in their minds, right? Uh, you don't get killed for saying nothing, and you don't get killed for saying things that people like for you to say. And so a lot of times in the Gospels, what you see is Jesus is in these conflicts with people. He'll say something, and the religious leaders or the scribes or the political leaders, they don't like what Jesus is having to say. So there are these conflicts. And in John chapter 8, he's in the middle of one of these conflicts with a group of Jewish leaders from Jerusalem. Um, we're going to start at verse 31. He's in the middle of this conversation, and he kind of turns to those who have decided they're going to put their trust in him. 8.31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And we talked about that in here several months ago. Jesus says to the, the people who believe in him, if you hold, and, and NIV translate that word hold, I think other translations have remain in my teaching. Uh, the Greek word there is the same word for live. Okay, It's like abide. I think the King James says, if you abide in my teaching. Jesus says to them, if you live in my teachings, what do you think it means to live in somebody's teachings? Follow. You do like if if Jeff Bull were your teacher here and you were going to live in his teachings and he was telling you everyone needs to paint their house yellow tomorrow. Okay? What would it mean to live in his teachings? We would know who was following his teachings because they would be painting their houses yellow at some point, right? If not tomorrow. Right? If you live in my teaching, you are really my students, my disciples, my apprentices. Then you will know the truth. Then you will know what's real. In some sense, I think then your eyes will be open to this new creation. Once you start putting Jesus' teachings to the test, then you start to see the new creation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, faith comes from obedience and obedience comes from faith and you can't separate the two. They go together. And then the truth will set you free. Wouldn't you like to be free in this new year? Wouldn't you? 
They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. And this is for those of you who are thinking, I'm free already. Just be careful. Be careful. We are Abraham's descendants, and, I have never, and we have never been slaves of anyone except for the Persians and the Babylonians and the Greeks and the Romans. But forget that, and the Egyptians. How can you say that we shall be set free? We're not slaves. We're already free. They say quietly as a Roman soldier walks by. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And that's the kind of freedom Jesus is talking about. Wouldn't you like to be free in the new year? Jesus tells us how to have freedom. And it's not works, righteousness, legalism. It's the lordship of Jesus. It's not you earning freedom. It's just Jesus knows how for you to be free. And he tells us, this is the way you'll find freedom. Follow my teachings, and then you will know the truth, and then you will be free. And it's kind of the corollary is true, I think. If you don't follow the teachings of Jesus, you should not expect to be free. You may be saved and go into heaven someday. But what a shame for you not to be free to follow Jesus in this world. What a shame for you to be bound up by things until the day you die. Jesus is offering us this invitation to come and follow him that costs us everything and gains us everything. That asks us to leave things that are good things and not just bad things, but provides something on the other side of it, which is this community wrapped up in the kingdom of God and all these great works that we have. So, we're going to study these words of Jesus in the coming weeks. And I don't know if I'm ready for it. And I've been going through it thinking, how the heck do I teach this without getting crucified? And I think the bottom line is, is there's no way, in some sense, hopefully metaphorically speaking, right? Jesus demands, his lordship demands obedience. But more, I think, maybe I don't want to say more than that, but his love wants our obedience so that we can be free. Right? Does that make sense? Okay. All right. This is kind of an introductory night. It's pretty much all I have. Is that okay? Kind of an intro to where we're going. Um, listen, um, we've been talking about as a staff, about evangelism. And, you know, part of that routine that we all get in, um, you know, once you've been a part of a church for more than like, it's actually really short, it's like six months, your group of non-Christian friends kind of goes, although I'm not sure that's really true. I think what happens is is our perception of non-Christian friends goes like this. Because I'm guessing, I mean, I work at a church and I have non-Christian friends. You all work in the workplace. I'm sure that you have people who in your life who do not, uh, believe or trust or know Jesus, right? Who need Jesus, let me put it that way. Um, as we go through this series too, I'm encouraging myself and I just want to encourage you as we open our eyes to this new creation, who are the people who are in our lives already or who God might just draw us to in some voice of the Spirit way who need to hear the good news of Jesus? And, I, you know, sharing sharing Jesus with people um, you know, it's easy to talk about what you love. I know it's difficult to talk about things where you're wondering, you know, I don't want to mess things up. I don't want to say the wrong things about Jesus. I think Jesus is big enough to handle that, okay? 
I think the thing for us is just begin to look out and think, here's somebody who needs to hear the good news of the kingdom, to know that the kingdom is here now. And how can I share that with them? And sometimes that's just in words. But let me tell you about Jesus. And sometimes that's in an invitation to become a part of the community of Jesus. You know, like it might be the kind of thing where you say to somebody, hey, I've got some friends that you, I'd love for you to come hang out with. And they start coming over to your house to hang out. And as a part of that, you intentionally um, talk about Jesus. You talk about the things of the kingdom. Um, and I would hope that this changes us in a way that we also see the life change in other people because of it. That we see the kingdom coming alive in places we hadn't seen it previously. And what I mean by that is in other people's lives. Um, and of course, you know, it's always great for you to invite people here. But, you know, there's a process to somebody coming to Jesus. Conversations and relationships. And that takes time. Um, but Jesus didn't just speak for us. When he calls his disciples, he says, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send workers into the harvest fields. And then right after that, he sends his disciples to go out and preach the good news of the kingdom. I think he would say the same thing to us. Open your eyes and see the harvest fields are white. People need to hear the good news of what Jesus is doing. Okay? As we kind of have this response time, there's just something I want you to think about, and that is just this. What are the things in your life that you need to repent of? The first things that are going to come to your mind are probably the sinful things, but there may be things that are good things that Jesus is saying to you, and you know it, and you've known it, or maybe you just know it tonight. He's telling me to let go of these things so that I can be free for the kingdom. And those are real, and do not ignore those. And however you need to engage in worship that makes that real in your heart, engage in that as we have a response time. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, I'll say a prayer for us, and then we'll, then we'll respond.